That's right, Chuck. Hello there. Assemble. Ninety nine nerds, we are here for episode forty three. Assemble. Assemble indeed. We have Sean. Sean. Just Sean today. Sean and me. And and Austin. We're here. The two of us. One of the best Schaefers, as far as I'm concerned. Top three. Top two. There's actually a lot of Schaefers. Yeah, too many. Way too many. There needs to be a, we need a new, what's what's Dwight's phrase? We need a new plague. Yeah. But not for the Schaefers. I am a- Uh, What are we doing here today, Sean? We're just jiving. Well, I had some uh, fun ideas we could do today um, because Dave's not with us. And so that means me and you have to pull double duty. Oh, no. Yes! The math checks out. Don't. Don't bother doing the equations. It's double duty. We'll be without a third guy. Way more efficient than normal then. <laughs> exactly. Sick. And it's perfect because what I wanted to do today were a mm-hmm. few things. One, I wanted to talk to you about YouTube Premium. Oh, yeah. Who is not sponsoring this video. Not yet. Not yet. Oh. Um, from the Lord. <laughs> and then I wanted to also briefly discuss um, a little movie coming out this week that I'm going to be seeing called Barbie. Yes. As well <laughs> as Open the Heimer. Yeah. Open it right up. Uh, Guess what's inside? What? A bomb. Oh. A big one. I'll be honest. I know nothing about Oppenheimer. Not just the film, but the man as well. Uh, he's a dude. That's what I hear. Have you not seen any trailers for it? I've no, actually, I haven't. Wow. Well, not purposely. I feel like they haven't been thrown in my face like everything else usually is. I've just been hearing all the buzz. I'm surprised by that because I I feel as if well we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll yeah, get into yeah, it. Yeah. Sounds great. So Austin, ask me anything about YouTube Premium uh, <laughs> because you earlier were discussing you might be considering jumping over the cliff into it it might make sense for us as a channel for me to have it i think it'll benefit us in a couple different areas but um how much is it uh, i i said ask me anything i don't know <laughs> i don't is it it's like 12 it's like somewhere between 11 dollars and 15 dollars a month right yeah probably which have, is like how much you're spending on your netflix i, ha- I don't have netflix <laughs> oh it's how much you're spending on your amazon prime uh okay yeah or um, Disney Plus, or Disney Plus, or Hulu. Sure, sure. Maybe your HBO Max, which don't we don't pay that. for. No. Shout out to Noah. Shout out Noah. Yeah. <laughs> HBO Max has been pumping content. They have so much DC content. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's weird too because I don't know if I want to watch all of it ever. It's a it's like way too much. Like who cares about all these like weird offbeat cartoons that got played on tv once in like 2004 there's like some new harley quinn animated show that's like like i would i would say it's got like a nc-17 rating to it it's like some of the jokes i've seen online are like whoa what the heck is this i hope you like pain it's kind of weird yeah but uh so anyway what uh with disney not disney with youtube premium is that what it's called it is called youtube premium not plus not Max, not Prime, YouTube Premium. YouTube Premium. So you pay the amount and then you get the ads removed? Yes, that's probably the biggest thing. No ads in front of videos, during videos. So if I'm in a situation videos. where somebody needs CPR. 
I don't have to wait 20 seconds to watch the tutorial. Exactly. That's good. That's exactly it's probably worth it. That's exactly what it's for. That sole reason. <laughs> yeah. If anything, the the you know doctors and EMTs and medical emergency personnel, first responders should all be given YouTube Premium, right. just in case they need to Google smart. how to find a vein. I think the government should should figure that out somehow. Uh, so they can't you, figure that one out. You, it's you, not happening. You lose the ads. What else, Sean? What What is the big hoopla? Nothing else matters after that. Wow, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's actually funny about YouTube Premium is um, I think they oversold this idea of all the original content they were going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we have all these partners that uh, are going to be producing things. We've got an original series by the Annoying Orange. I don't know. <laughs> Who cares? Oh, wow. Like, uh, or, or Smosh made videos for us. Mm. The Slomo guys. Oh made yeah, videos yeah. For us, that stuff I never watched, mm-hmm. never cared. I think there's maybe, it's almost like because that stuff is popular, it's almost like you don't like it. Mm. It's like how I don't know if I care for Taylor Swift, right? Not because she's not talented, but because she's too popular. No, I get that. And I just don't know if I can respect her it's the videos that have 120 million views and you can't you don't know why that i say yeah pass yeah that stuff stinks so i don't necessarily recommend uh youtube premium for its original content they offer okay um i am also not necessarily interested in some of their other ancillary stuff like where you could get a sports package you could watch it with um, different live TV channels essentially through oh, YouTube. that's right. Yeah. If you were really into sports, if you really wanted to kind of just keep it all right. together in that way, that would probably make sense for you. I think the NFL has a deal with them, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's not my, my jam. Okay. But for me, I watch a lot of YouTube. Mm-hmm. I don't have cable. I haven't watched cable television in like 20 years. Yeah ever since I was like a kid. So for me, it's kind of interesting because I prefer watching YouTube over any other form of media. Mm -hmm. I just like to sit and watch videos on YouTube. And it's not just like mindless, dumb react videos. A lot of what I like watching are video essays. I love watching videos that do uh, analysis of some sort of topic in society or culture. Sure. I like watching history, Mm -hmm. uh, discussions and people who kind of unpack things that have happened in the world or are happening in the world. For me, it's, it's sometimes nice to, instead of reading a news article that was kind of hastily written yeah, and put out hours after the event, I like being able to have somebody break down a situation event, a world event in very thorough detail in like a 20, 30, 40 minute video. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for example, that whole uh, ocean gate, we call it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the sub that imploded. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching a video by a uh, YouTuber who kind of spent like an hour discussing what happened, how it happened, the physics mm-hmm. and how we can understand the situation and the different, uh, ways that this kind of phenomenon has happened before. Mm-hmm. And I like getting educated like that. I yeah. like learning through these kinds of message mes- methods. 
I'm of the opinion that in school, in like children's education, I don't know if you ever got to watch like Bill Nye the Science Guy or something like that when you're in school. But you can probably remember, always remember the day your teacher showed you a video. Yeah. Like when the TV got rolled into class and it's like, okay, we're going to watch a movie over the next Mm -hmm. two, three days, or we're going to watch this, you know, Bill Nye or something, the equivalent of some video of somebody explaining and teaching something. Right. And for me, those stick out in my memory so much better than all of the lectures in class than virtually everything else. So I have this belief that media, well-produced, well-created media is vastly more valuable to educating people than we probably than we probably expect. So I have the idea of what if you had essentially a Bill Nye type person mm-hmm. teaching a science curriculum mm-hmm. for the entire nation of like third graders. Like, you know, you want every child to know all the same stuff. Make a creative, compelling, entertaining, but very, very well thought out video series. Yeah. And the kids are going to digest it and remember all of it. 100%. Now you're probably going to put all the teachers out of work. But, oh, uh, well, who cares? The, the, it's, it's, the end justifies the means. You know what I mean? Come on. Well, I can tell you that my son is a big, uh, I mean, I grew up on Zaboomafu with the Crap Brothers. The Crap? The Crat. Crap Brothers. C-R, no. I, I did A-T-T. as well. I remember the Crap Brothers before they had Zaboomafu. Uh, yeah. Their own, their own just show about the, uh, you know, wild animals and stuff. So they have a new animated show. Oh my gosh. Uh, Wild Crats. Oh my and Oliver, my Bobo, he... How old are those guys? Those guys got to be in their 50s now. Well, it's animated, so they're just doing <laughs> so the voiceover. They're, they're just like, they just like lie down on a couch and somebody <laughs> leans a mic into their face. But you know what? They do uh, live shows. They actually, they have one coming to our state in uh, November. Uh, there you go. But they, I mean, Oliver digests those factoids about animals like ridiculous. Sure. He's into the educational stuff. I think if you were to do something like that, you would probably want to bring on a council of people to like this. How should we do this? Yeah. It would definitely include the crap brothers, probably blippy because sure. That dude has mastered the uh, ability to captivate kids while making things educational and fun. And he could be a little ridiculous, but you know what? So can we, am I right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, think about how successful Mr. Rogers neighborhood was and think about how successful it still could be and Mm -hmm. would be if Mr. Rogers was still around producing once a week, a video like he did in the way back when you do have Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, which is the animated version. And I mean, I still for myself, it's important to remember his songs. Like if you have to go potty, stop and go right away. Dang. Those are valuable lessons for it's big. children in America. We repeat it in our house a lot. Not for the kids. <laughs> for you. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so my point is we, we know that instantly accessible video content on the internet mm-hmm. is vastly superior than cable television. Mm-hmm. It's on Saturdays at 7 a.m. Yeah. That's when it's on. Sorry if you missed it, you know. <laughs> Or, oh, premiering in every week, every Wednesday at 7 p.m., this new show. 
Okay, somebody has to tune in on Wednesday. It's like that, nobody's right. doing it. Right. In fact, in the not too distant past, they found the loophole where everybody was selling these devices that would just record television so you could watch it later. Right. We all realized <laughs> having immediate instant access to the things you want to watch yeah. is very important to people. Yeah. They don't want to be bound to a schedule. They want to have the liberty and freedom and control over their lives that they should be having in yeah. America. Hey, don't run from the Lord. I didn't even hit that button. It just did it on <laughs> it its own. It was meant to be. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting raising kids in this generation because it's like trying to balance um, like, is it okay that we instantly can have whatever we want whenever we want it? And how do you like gate that? Yes! And how do you... Because <laughs> like... One of my kids will be having a meltdown about, no, I don't want to watch this episode. I want to watch another. And it's like, dang it, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. You got the episode you got and you didn't complain. It's true. And your favorite one that you loved, they never play it. It's true. They always play the crap ones. We'd always get like super hyped when it was the rerun of that one SpongeBob episode. Exactly. Like at the of the bubble bowl. Right. It's like, like oh, it's on, it's, it's on. on, it's oh, on. We, we missed the first four minutes, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. So my point is, we all value this content being so easily accessible. Yeah. But wait, uh. <laughs> what if every step of the way I injected a 10 to 30 second ad mm-hmm. in between what you want? Mm. How would that feel? Uh, Not good. I don't like that. It's like Austin, everything we want in life is uphill. Right. The problem is we have downhill habits. Mm. Now, what if I, this benevolent businessman, said, by the way, every single step you take up that mountain towards your destiny, mm. towards purpose and meaning and fulfillment, I'm just going to punch you in the face. <laughs> every single step. For 25 seconds. <laughs> For 25 seconds. That's it. And those are advertisements. Uh, yeah, I hear you. Now, I think I should live in a world where nobody feeds me an advertisement. Yeah, especially based off of a carefully watched series of algorithms. Yeah. Where they are listening to the things you've recently purchased. Yeah. And hope to purchase. I don't want them to know what I want. I want to know what I want. Word. First, at least. Don't tell me what I know, Travis. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so for, no ads. So for me, YouTube Premium is. I don't know if this applies to everybody. I don't know if Gertie on the line is <laughs> cares about not seeing ads all the time on YouTube. She probably. But dude, mind. I I I can't even I can't even fathom how many not just hours, not just days, not weeks, but maybe months worth of ads I have avoided. Yeah, that's true. Wasting my precious time with the finite life God has given me. Yeah, that's true. In fact, it's disrespectful oh my gosh. to the almighty to be spending your life watching ads. I'll, I think that'll preach. So you can also, though, like download videos, right? Yep, downloading is huge. Something yeah. that I actually forget people don't have access to is the ability to have your phone on lock mm-hmm. and watch oh, and yeah, listening yeah, to yeah. stuff, which is really nice because I mean, people like to listen to stuff in the car, right? Um, 
you know, don't text and drive. Don't look at your phone while you drive. That's right. So for me, it's like, well, this is great. I can turn a video on, which to me oftentimes feels like a podcast. Right. Or I can just get a playlist on YouTube going. Yeah. And just hit play and my phone's on lock and it's fine. Yeah. I don't even have to have it on or looking at it. It's not distracting me and it's just playing. Yeah. I forgot about that, actually. That's it's also pretty interesting because a lot of times, like, I'll be listening to, you know, there's there's always times in our life we're working, but we can't really be watching something. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we used to do is have, like, the phone in our ear mm-hmm. while we were cooking. You know, mom is, like, talking to your aunt right. for an hour while cooking. Um, or maybe we'd have the TV on in the background. Well, nowadays, it's great because I just put my headphones in, my Bluetooth headphones. I got something playing on my phone. That's like just set up on the countertop in case I want to look at it. Mm-hmm. But then I'm just going around and I'm doing stuff yeah. and I don't have to worry about it just being on constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a cool benefit as well. That's something that the the download videos is pretty much the angle that I would be attacking. Cause here's what, here's what we do guys. Offline video, offline viewing. Sean takes this, this file. This video file is going to be a monster. He's going to take it. He's going to render that bad boy. It's he's like 80 to hundred gigs. each. Week. He's going to edit it. And then we want to start creating better content for you guys. I think that uh, what you don't understand is that we're hilarious. And, and sometimes we get a little carried away with these podcasts. I'll admit it. But you know what, darn it? We have some very funny content and, and moments where I have died crying laughing at some of the stuff that happens in this podcast. But the problem is, the problem is that usually it happens at minute 57 that's like when we really get cooking that's right so i need to start putting minute 57 in front of your face without you having to listen to 56 minutes and 59 seconds first exactly so i'm gonna do that but the only way for me to do that is a couple ways i can either bring a external hard drive to sean for him to give me an 87 gigabyte unedited version of our video or I could just download it using YouTube premium because I live kind of far away from Sean. It's tough for us to link up. Sean works very hard to edit these and sometimes it takes him a a week or so. And by the time he posts it, I should already have content ready to go. And I don't. Yeah. So I noticed the older we get, the farther you move away from me specifically. You know what, Sean? It's, um, I'm looking at the the map and it's like every time I move a little bit North, you move. I double it. (laughs) Double it and pass it to the next person. It's true. It's strategic. Yeah. <laughs> Who paid you to do that? Uh, no one. But yeah, downloading videos, offline viewing is critical. Yeah. I went to Italy and I could just have a whole playlist of stuff downloaded okay, ahead yeah. of time for offline viewing on the plane. Smart. Yeah. You know what? That would be huge with the kids. Sure. I mean, you know, you're not always going to have reliable cell 100% on your dude. phone or you yeah. know your kids devices don't have cellular data right because so. we've got like if we go on a long trip or something or like we go up north um we we've got some amazon like we've we've actually pivoted to like don't get us a dvd we're gonna buy the digital copy through amazon sure so that it's just in our amazon account library account Makes we sense. can download it it's available offline for the kids watch on an ipad or something but um even that is limited i mean how many video how many movies could i store on my kid's ipad it's eventually going to max out and sometimes you just need blippy on for 40 minutes you don't need a two hour long movie but rebuttal mm. don't you want to at some point in your life have this like ridiculous giant movie collection 
where somebody walks into your house and there's just these bookshelves full of all these Blu-rays and Sean, DVDs. Sean, I think anybody that spent any time listening to this podcast knows that I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not either because I don't have that kind of money. But what I'd like to do is go to like a garage sale. Mm-hmm. And I don't even want the movies. Like, you can just give me the cases. I just want to like put the cases uh, on a shelf okay. so I can, like, look cultured. Dude, that's actually a good call. <laughs> like, holy crap, he's got all the Dumb and Dumber films. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they made a seventh one? <laughs> nice. Dude, he's got the Jumanji animated series on VHS. How did that happen? Dude, this guy's crazy. Uh, so that's anything else with YouTube Premium? They did roll out a new feature, which I'm not exactly sure how it works. Um, there's probably more features I'm not even thinking about. I, uh, I'm, I'm not that smart most mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. And when YouTube sends me emails about new features, I don't read them because mm-hmm. I don't know how to read emails. I mean, in this day and age, in this economy, there's no time. <laughs> it's like ads. I ain't got time. For, I ain't tired. I ain't got time to read. No, say it. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't Say it Spray to it. me visually. <laughs> it to me, to my eyes. But um, they have a new feature where my understanding is you um, have always been able to play videos at 360p, 480p, 720p, yeah. 1080p. But now they're, uh, I, it might be in beta, they're experimenting with a new 1080p high bit rate. What does because, that even mean? Well, as you know, uh, video is played as little tiny bits and Mm. bytes of information per second. Okay, okay. And if you don't have a very high bit rate, if the kind of tunnel of data is small, then the video player has to make a compromise. If it can't send you a lot of data all at once, it's got to lower the quality down. Mm. Um, And that's why you get all these kind of like blotchy, blocky, ugly looking artifacts on videos. So um, YouTube obviously has... I mean, we're talking, I don't know, billions of terabytes of videos that they're streaming out all the time. Right. At some point, they got to kind of throttle the bit rate, how much data they're sending to people watching. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of advanced algorithms now. There's a lot of ways that video codecs are delivering that kind of information better than ever. Mm -hmm. So you can still watch a video and it looks really good. But with YouTube Premium, they now have a higher bit rate feature. Mm-hmm. That people can, uh, who are premium members, mm. can enjoy. Okay, cool. I don't know how that applies to downloading the video. I don't know if it'll download in a full quality or not. But um, when I'm editing this video, I probably will not look it up either. Fair enough. I'll find out. All right. So is that pretty much run through YouTube Premiums? Yeah. YTP? Yeah. How, on a scale of one to 10, how sold are you? Uh, it'll really come down to price. I mean, I want it, and I need it. Do I get a so? Will I get a finder's fee uh, if I if you buy? I'll put in the referral code. I don't know if there is one. Will I get a referral code if ninety nine nerds purchases based off ninety nine nerds recommendation? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I'll look into it. If there is, like, why aren't you using my referral code? Come on, man. What are you doing here? I'm not going to look into it. But so I've been Sean. using YouTube Premium for years. It's one of the few things that I'm like, I would never not have it at this point. All right. I mean, that's how I am with. That and my pacemaker, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're going to go see a movie this week. That's right. I'm seeing Oppenheimer. Oh, my gosh. Christopher Nolan. There's a chance I'll see Barbie, too, but that's not a guarantee. You should Barbenheimer it. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to Barbieheimer. So 
Christopher Nolan is considered like the greatest director of all time. Am I wrong? You're wrong. <laughs> Who's the greatest director of all time? Um, the greatest of all time, the goat of directing. It's a great question. It's hard to answer. I like to think of the greatest directors of all time, like a rope. Wow. And that when you're looking at the rope, it looks like one solid cord. And so you assume there's just one solid greatest director of all time. But every time you look at the ends of it, you see like the frayed threads mm. and you realize the greatest director of all time is not one. It's many tied together. Dang. And so like you could have a really, really talented director, but without his team, true, without his people who he works with, it's right. It's nothing because every great director, even the greatest of the greats have had their bad, their bad moments. Right. So what would you say so far has been Christopher Nolan's high and what has his low been? Uh, his high, you know, for me, I think, um, well, for me, I think it's always tempting to like point out some director's earliest stuff as like their prime. Like, wow, that was the best. That was so new and fresh. Like, right. uh, like he did a, he did Memento, uh, which was very interesting. I watched that, but to me, it's a little bit more limited. And I feel that over time, his stuff has gotten better and better. But uh, I would say for me, you know, it's probably somewhere between Inception and Interstellar. Okay. I think because specifically those movies um, were able to capture the, uh, the ability to have a cerebral, smart, engaging idea mm-hmm. combined with a very emotionally powerful story. Right. However, Interstellar is when, you know, problems begin to arise with Mr. Nolan's methods of uh, mixing sound in movies. Oh, yeah. Did you get to see Interstellar in theaters? No, I saw it after. In the movie Interstellar, the... Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I did see it in theater. I can't remember. The movie has um, very powerful musical themes. Very much so. Produced by Hans Zimmer. I mean, the soundtrack is fantastic. Hans Zimmer is so good. But what was a problem is the movies just has moments where the music was so loud. It was very difficult to hear the dialogue. Right. Now, as an editor, this is a grave sin. You know, like, I'm sorry. I don't care how good your music is. If you have dialogue that's important, it's got to be discernible. Yeah. It has to be. And so it was kind of weird that there was multiple moments in those movies. Um. Not necessarily Inception, but especially Interstellar, it happened where you're like, I, I'm having a hard time hearing what right. they're saying. The music is just too loud. Now, um, people also had complaints when he did The Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. which similarly had the problem of Bane, played by Tom Hardy, his original voice. Yeah. It was really hard to understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of frustrating because it's like, I get that this is a performance. This is a an artistic choice, but it's it's functionally a problem. Yeah. Because if I, as an audience member, I can't hear what he's saying, I can't understand what he's saying, then it doesn't help me. Right. And then uh, this problem kept continuing until you, like, I remember watching Dunkirk in theaters as well. Mm. And I'm like, man, this is like, what is this? The third time this has happened. I can't hear what they're saying. The music is too loud. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is like this, this mumbly, you know, dialogue. They're speaking into these, like, you know, the pilots were piloting planes and they're speaking into their kind of like masks and stuff 
and I'm, I'm having a really hard time hearing what they're saying. Yeah. And the music is blasting and blasting and blasting. And you're like, is, is this meant to be like, not quite a silent film, but almost like a silent film where it's just, you're supposed to engage with the movie visually and just watching what happens and the dialogue doesn't really matter. It's almost incidental. And I'm like, you know, I don't think so because I would later watch the movie and with subtitles and I'm like, some of this dialogue is important. It's, it's explaining the plot. Right. And I can't hear anything they're saying. So like, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah. It made me want to jump in the water. Whoa. At Dunkirk. I actually didn't see Dunkirk. Dunkirk was, well, Dunkirk is an interesting movie because Christopher Nolan did this really creative thing with that movie Mm. that went right over my head and ruined half the movie. Oh, no. It wasn't until halfway through the movie I figured out what was going on. So the movie has a a graphic that comes on uh, the screen for each of the three parts of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. There is one part of the story is the soldiers stranded on the beach of Dunkirk. Okay. Mm -hmm. Another part of the story is a man taking his personal boat, his private property boat across the channel to reach Dunkirk to help save some of the soldiers. So this actually happened. Um, Winston Churchill got all of these uh, volunteer civilians to take their boats and just go to across the English Channel to France, uh, to Dunkirk, and save you know save our boys. They're trapped over there. We can't get ships to them. Wow. They keep getting torpedoed by the Germans or their bombers and stuff. Like we need, they need help. Mm-hmm. And so they recruited I don't know hundreds of civilians who helped with this. Wow. So. That's the other part of the story is it focuses on this man, his son, and uh, one of the other neighbor boys who is a friend of his son. You know, just these three guys in this boat going across the channel and they find men who are kind of stranded in the water along the way and pull them on the ship. And, you know, it's just it's this kind of story of these heroic civilians. Mm -hmm. And then the third part of the story is Tom Hardy again uh, in the movie. He plays a British Air Force pilot. And he's flying around in the sky and uh, him and his partner are, you know, doing a couple dog fights with other German planes. And eventually his partner's plane gets shot down. He survives the crash, but you know, it's kind of engaging in the air. So I just described to you that story. How long, how much of a time period do you think that story takes place over a week, a day, an hour, probably like two days. Okay. I don't know how long that battle was. It takes place over all three. All three what? A week, oh. a day, what? and one hour. So that's not that's what I've gravely misunderstood when I was watching the movie. Oh. It's it's the guys on the beach, and it gives the name of the beach, and it says one week. Oh. And I didn't know what that meant. Right. And then later, cut to the man getting his boat ready with the guys and kind of getting stuff together and throwing in life jackets mm. and clearing out all the excess weight. And it says, you know, I don't know, the channel or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it says, you know, one day. Mm. I'm like, I don't get what that means. Like, right. And then eventually go cut to the the British Air Force pilots in the air, flying around the air and yeah. going through the clouds and getting into dogfights. 
And when it goes to them, it says, you know, the sky, one hour. Gotcha. And I still didn't like know. I I was like, are these code names for something? You know, sure. like, you know, that's really unique, but it kind of makes sense. It was an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. However, it's cutting between all three of these things. Oh yeah, that's tough. And it was extremely difficult to keep track of what I was watching. So imagine you are watching a scene that takes place at night of soldiers who have boarded a ship mm-hmm. from the beach, but shortly after boarding the ship, it gets sunk mm. by some German torpedo. Yeah. And it's all these soldiers panicking, you know, trying to get out of the ship in time before it sinks and they're mm-hmm. trapped and everybody's screaming and panicking. There's fire, oil's lit up on top of the water and, you know, there's this glow in the air. It's pitch blackout except for these flames that are surrounding the men. Cut to daytime (laughs) and it's the pilots flying around the sky and you're like I don't know how to like I don't know how to connect these two events right and then cut back to the night scene right and then cut to the guys in the boat and it's like the early morning see what I'm saying yeah that's tough and I was like watching this movie I'm like I am I go I'm 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 it's (laughs) happening I'm losing my mind Uh, it's gone that so you're telling me in a third movie Christopher Nolan skews time and makes you question everything you know about everything. <laughs> to me, it wasn't even like the, oh, you know, Nolan's doing this really interesting thing with time and chronology mixing, you know, mm-hmm. mixing one week with one day with one hour. Like that wasn't the premise of the movie. I'm like, it's just a movie about Dunkirk and these guys getting off of this beach. Yeah. So to me, it was like an interesting idea to cut three different storylines together like that throughout the film, mm-hmm. but it was maddeningly difficult to keep up with. Sure. Because you like never it. really felt like you knew where you were. Right. And there was very, very, very little connective tissue from scene to scene, mm-hmm. especially early on in the movie. Now, the gimmick is at the end of the film, all three storylines coalesce together. Gotcha. So, you know, you've spent a week right. with the soldiers on the beach and they all end up in the boat that, with the guy who you spent a day with mm-hmm. and they are then being protected in the air by German bombers and German fighter fighter uh, planes by the British Air Force officer. Yeah. So it all converges at once. Interesting. And you're like, okay, now the, now the movie has started, Austin, <laughs> at two and a half hour mark. And it's over. Now, we're, now it's over. <laughs> so it was kind of annoying. Yeah, I get that. And then on top of that, I couldn't hear what anybody was saying. <laughs> oh. Yeah, actually, that's something that when I feel like... It was I, less of a movie and more of like a dream, just kind of a fever dream. It's just happening. I feel like when I can't follow a timeline and I'm like you were saying, like, where am like what when did this happen or is this a flashback is this a quicksilver back which is this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i w- i would probably i mean i want to see it <laughs> I, uh austin said he wants to see something he's putting it on his list uh but i i've heard nothing austin says i've heard nothing but good things about that movie <laughs> man i can't wait till you die and you have an eternity to watch all these movies dude my ai uh like language model is just me saying that over and over again that's all that uh, chat gpt knows about austin schaefer i'm he's looking forward to the day movies where... and he's heard nothing but good things about it <laughs> I, I can't wait until we've recorded enough of our dialogue talking that we can feed it into 
an AI generator. And then me and you don't even need to like come and record. We Dude. can just feed scripts into This is something. what we want to talk about. Make me sound funny, but smart, but slightly tired. And that's me. <laughs> and then I'll be like, no, it's too funny. <laughs> go back, bring it. <laughs> Dang, they won't uh, believe it. Scale back, scale back, scale back. 30% funny. Uh, so, so Dunkirk is that movie had problems and then Tenet. Yeah. I saw half of Tenet. I saw the exact half point. <laughs> and yeah. then I stopped. Tenet is impossible to keep up with given the sound issues. So do you think Christopher Nolan's, br- like, okay, sound issues aside, do you think his brain is just firing on too many cylinders and he doesn't realize that he needs to simplify things? It's not, to me, it has nothing to do with the complexity of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't mind a complex story. I mean, for goodness sake, I've played through all the Kingdom Hearts games. Mm. Okay? I understand. Yeah, yeah. When nothing makes sense. <laughs> you just have to go with it, dude. Right, right. Just go with it, brother. I get that. I just find that the issue is in how it's presented to the audience. Mm. I mean, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't know how to communicate to a kid, yeah. to a teenager, right. to a peer, you're yeah. not you can't be that intelligent because like you have to at least be able to communicate what you're trying to say 100 percent. so i mean i think he's an extremely talented director no doubt about it he's he's got to be one of the greatest currently for sure not a doubt i'm just like i don't i don't know why i can't wrap my head around why a fundamental aspect of editing a movie getting your sound mixing comfortable for people to listen to and understand like why is that being it's not even like I don't think it's a stylistic choice. I, I've heard him say that. I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a negligent view of how people should watch his movies. Yeah. Like, dude, I don't care if you think it's like an interesting vibe you're going for. Like, this is not this is not fair to your audience for them to not know what your movie's about because they can't hear what they're saying. So with all that being said, are you going into Oppenheimer with earplugs? So they don't nuke your eardrums. I'm, I'm the opposite. How do I like, can I go to a doctor and get my ears open bigger? <laughs> I mean, if, yeah, I mean, who knows what this music's going to be like. So there's all this hullabaloo about Christopher Nolan told. I told you we, uh, we were going to talk about Oppenheimer. So now like 10 minutes later, we're actually talking about Oppenheimer. This, see, this is just how we roll. I think this is going to become the Christopher because Nolan Because I episode. like talking to you, Austin. Sean, you're my cousin. You're one of my favorite cousins. We just like talking. Top two or five at least. Dude, thanks. And so it's it's always good to just have somebody I can release the contents of my heart about Christopher Nolan. For sure, dude. And like, honestly, I think we should have more film discussion like this because you really know what the heck you're talking about. And I have questions. So Christopher Nolan came out and said, if you're going to see Oppenheimer, you need to see it in 70 millimeter IMAX. That is the premium way to view my movie. He also told you where to sit in the theater. I think I sent you that diagram like months ago, way before right. the even dropped a trailer. It's like, if you're going to see it, see it like this and sit in these three seats. I got one response. Nice try, princess. Oh, no. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, I get I get what he's saying. Okay. I just don't believe him. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, hey, man, we can we can get like way into like. You know, there's people who like get obsessed about the the sound quality of like records yeah. and vinyl and 
you know, making their electric guitar sound better than anything and right. tuning their drum kit perfectly. Yeah. Like, I get it. We, we have this, like, desire for perfection mm-hmm. and, like, the pristine prime experience of anything. Yeah. However, let's be reasonable. Like, people, most people can't go see your movie in 70 millimeter IMAX right. and sit in one particular area of the theater. That's just not going to happen. It's not reasonable. Right. So maybe don't poo-poo the people who are going to get a different experience. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good call. There's, um, ar- there's actually only two locations in our state mm. of the United States that you can watch Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter IMAX. So what exactly does that mean? I've seen the IMAX cameras, and I understand 10% of the IMAX experience. What does the 70 millimeter mean? What is What does that do? So explain it to me like I'm five. Okay. So if I gave you a cookie, mm. do you want a little cookie or a big cookie? Big. Okay. If I gave you a big cookie... Do you want it to be a really long cookie or do you want it to be a big, wide, square mm, cookie? That's a great question. Um, uh, I'd probably take your uh, big square one and I'd fold it in half. Oh, okay. And then you get like a thicker cookie and then every bite has like more mouthful. Oh, there then, you go. Yeah. Do you want Do you want a thin cookie or a thick cookie? Give me a thick boy. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. Easy. No problem. <laughs> so uh, when you talk about... 70 millimeter Mm -hmm. what we mean is when you film something on physical film Mm -hmm. not like digital cameras where george lucas did that's right our boy well george lucas famously uh, filmed episode one the phantom menace on film Mm. 35 millimeter film however episode two and episode three were filmed digitally Uh which is actually a reason why bringing those movies to 4k like doing a 4k blu-ray of those is not really technically possible gotcha just 4k versions of those files don't exist uh, whereas blue as whereas um like the phantom menace technically it would so you could have i'll that. let you finish this and then we'll double back to that so anyway 35 millimeter is obviously half of 70 millimeter right mm-hmm. so when we say 35 millimeter what we're talking about is the physical size of a film strip okay literally 35 millimeters across. Okay. Um, you've heard of like eight millimeter, like a oh, super eight was a movie JJ Abrams made. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is about uh, a kid who's kind of like an amateur filmmaker and he's got his super eight camera ah. going around taking video. When you watch um, Christmas vacation, national lampoons, Christmas vacation, Clark Griswold. Have you seen this movie? I don't want to keep going. If you've never seen the movie, I, it's been a very long time. Okay. Well, anyway, he's in the attic and he's watching home movies of his childhood. He's watching the old 1940s, 1950s home movies. And those are the kind of things filmed on like a super eight mm. camera. The idea is this film strip is that big physically. So that means there is a finite amount of detail, physical detail that light and the exposure sure. can you can get out of that kind of a film strip. I see. Now, if I made it bigger, uh-huh. 35 millimeter, well, now you have some really high detail film strips. Yeah. And you have a physical film strip that is digitally the equivalent of like, oh gosh, what is it? Is it 4K? No. 
I think it's like uh, 6K. Okay. 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 <laughs> so that's a high level of detail. That's why 35 millimeter films, even from like the 60s and the 70s, you can do 4K Blu-rays of them because all you're doing is scanning a film strip that has that level of detail. Gotcha. You're just scanning it into a digital version that's just high resolution. Okay. But the detail is still there physically in the film strip. Understood. So now that's 35 millimeter. You know, it's like a little bit, you know, this isn't playing for the camera at all, but for you, you can kind of see it's about that big. <laughs> okay. But 70 millimeter, 70 millimeter is literally twice that big. Right. Now you're talking about an extraordinary amount of detail being put into a physical strip of film mm -hmm. while it's being recorded in a camera. Mm-hmm. This is cool because this is like 12K resolution equivalent. Right. 12,000 pixels wide. Yeah. This is really, really fresh, high detail. But it's also the kind of thing that nobody needs to film stuff at 70 millimeters. Right. So they just don't normally do it. You have your like weird filmmaking savants who will do it. Right. You'll have your Quentin Tarantino who will film The Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter just because he can. And then you'll have Nolan who will film something like Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter. As he pulled the 70 millimeter before? You know what? I don't know. He's definitely done IMAX before, and I'll get into what IMAX means in a second. Okay. But something interesting about 70 millimeter is how well it holds up over time. Um, not just like necessarily the physical condition of the film strips, but in the detail. So a documentary came out a few years ago called uh, Apollo 11 which was about the mission to the moon, you know, Apollo 11, the mission. Mm -hmm. And what they found, they found archived 70 millimeter film strips that were recorded during that time of uh, the launch, people gathering in the, you know, the command center, wow. the pilots getting dressed up. So in the 60s, 1969, 70 millimeter film cameras Somebody with a 70 millimeter camera yeah. was recording these astronauts getting ready. It must have been it must have been like a truck on the guy's shoulder. Or just like this was a super mega millionaire, like with just way too much time on his hands or something. So they could take this old footage. We think it's old because it was in the 60s, but they can take this 70 millimeter footage and transfer it and convert it into a movie, documentary movie. And the detail is insane. I mean, it, it just blows your mind. You're looking at, because we're so used to like the Apollo missions, we're used to looking at grainy black and white stuff. Yeah. And even if it was in color, it looks kind of weird and muddied and stuff like that. But watching Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong get suited up in 70 millimeter detail, it's like, it's like, dude, it's like they're right there. It's like I could reach through the screen Dang, dude. and touch them. It's like insane. The detail. I'll, I'll pause you right there. I looked up 70 millimeter films, Lawrence of Arabia, 2001, A Space Odyssey, Dunkirk, Hateful Eight, West Side Story, Sound of Music, Ben-Hur, Cleopatra, in a, Interstellar, uh, My Fair Lady, and the list goes on. So it's been done quite a bit. But it's definitely the kind of experience, it, it's the kind of phenomenon that you have to be committed to filming a movie in film. Yeah. Which years ago was the only way to make a movie, but now we have digital cameras. So if you're doing it today, you got to commit to film. Mm -hmm. I'm filming this on physical film strips, which means 
when I when the camera is recording, it is roll is it got a machine in it that is rolling these film strips in front of the lens or behind the lens. Yeah. So you're making that, and you're also adding these film strips that are double the size, double the weight. Yeah. Which then gets into a whole processing power of reliably getting that thing to do that accurately at the exact time right pace you need. So then you have IMAX. IMAX is essentially using most of the film strips canvas for your video. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what that means. You know, we're used to watching movies in widescreen, right? Right. Pew, big, long widescreen. But a film strip normally is more square. Right. You see a film strip, you're like, okay, it's square. But then you're going, well, why am I seeing a movie and it's like widescreen? Right. So what we say is it's been letterboxed, meaning they physically took some something that covered the top and bottom of your film strip. Yeah. That's fine. The reason we watch movies in widescreen is because humans have a wide field of view. It's just more natural to watch something like that. Sure. But there are certain films that want to use the whole frame. Mm-hmm. They want to have the the top and the bottom. Yeah. I don't know if this was filmed on film, but for example, uh, the Snyder cut of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. When you watch that, it's in this more boxy format. That's intentional because he wanted to use, in his design of the movie, his, his vision was to use the full frame. Yeah. That's fine. But it's a little awkward because it means that you kind of have to compose your shot differently. Right. Because if I am filming something and I intend on cropping Mm -hmm. later, then I have to like film it with that kind of crop in mind. Right. But if I'm filming using the full frame, I still have to film with that crop in mind Mm -hmm. because eventually it's going to be playing in a theater that's going to letterbox it. Or on your television. Or on your television, exactly. It's going to have to be formatted at some point. Right. But I also want to have this experience where people can go see it in a movie theater in the full frame. Gotcha. So it's kind of awkward because you're trying to shoot for two different formats at once. Okay. Personally, I find IMAX to normally be kind of a weird gimmick because I don't necessarily think it's a big deal to have a taller uh, screen, a right. taller shot. Right. It's okay, but I don't think it usually matters. Um, what's interesting is if you go see a movie in IMAX, oftentimes you'll realize most of the movie is not using the full frame. Mm. The Transformers movies are a good example of this, <laughs> where you can actually go through the trailers for some of these Transformers movies and if you go shot for shot, like clicking through the trailer, you'll notice the letterbox keeps changing mm. because they're actually filming their movie and they're going to be having their movie played at all these different formats throughout the film. Hmm. It's actually weird because sometimes you can go see a movie and like literally shot to shot, the letterbox just disappears. Yeah. And that's always really weird. I don't, I don't know exactly like why they do that. But they do that. Hmm. An exa- another example, sometimes people in IMAX, the director will actually make a moment where you physically can watch the letterbox, like, you know, descend and ascend out of the shot. Yeah. Um, even if it wasn't shot on film. So, for example, in the Mandalorian season two um, premiere, 
remember they fought the crate dragon right so that has a moment where you're watching the whole episode in a letterbox format and then when the crate dragon shows up for the first time and is on screen you can actually watch the letterbox disappear interesting so the idea is by adding that room to the top and the bottom of the frame you give it more dimension Mm -hmm. you give it more scale um i think the original jurassic park did something similar to this where you're watching most of the movie in letterbox but then when the dinosaurs are on screen you get that more frame because you want to have them feel bigger on the shot in the screen so there's a logic to the way it's used and i can imagine if you're watching oppenheimer and you want to watch the nuclear bomb go off in the trinity test you kind of would like it not to be this tiny thing inside of a big wide frame right you'd want it to be in the whole shot because you have all that vertical room suddenly that makes a lot of sense so i just described two separate ways of watching the movie Mm -hmm. to do both at the same time requires a completely customized customized built uh projection system ah so you have this like giant reel of 70 millimeter imax film yeah and it weighs like a thousand pounds right and it's like nine miles long of film yeah. strip, and you need an extremely, you know, arbitrary machine to play it properly. We were talking. So most theaters don't have that, yeah, and they're not going to. You talked about the two theaters that have that ability. We actually know somebody who works at one of these theaters. Is that Zach? Yes, our boy Zach. Shout out to Zach. Shout out to Zach. So there's a picture of it on Instagram of him. He basically posted of when the film showed up in this massive case with property of IMAX on the top. And uh, as somebody who knew nothing about this until now, it was like, that's cool. But now I understand the context and kind of the weight, both figuratively and literally, of that film strip. That's pretty cool. Right. I mean, I, I think if you want to see the movie the way the director wants you to see the movie. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But... I mean, what if I can't hear the movie? Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope not. I mean, for me, as just a casual moviegoer, it's like, well, we could see it standard or IMAX is obviously better. What does it exactly paying, mean? But then you're paying more. The screen's bigger, I think. But then what if we saw it in Dolby where my seat's going to be rattling? That's fine unless you take your six-year-old to see Across the Spider-Verse and he's scared by the opening Coca-Cola thing where oh the bubbles are rattling your butt. <laughs> That's true. So, and then I have to like see Nicole Kidman in all of her (laughs) eight, twelve k glory, her seventeen minute intro. Uh, Yeah. So for me, they make it shorter every time we see it, but it's 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 always an eternity. Still way too long. So for me, it's just like okay, you got your stand, you got your IMAX. I'm looking forward to the day where it's like just one frame of her smiling, and that's it. (laughs) That'll be it, dude. That's a dream. What's the time between the start time and when the movie actually starts? For, well, I don't know. Uh, for my showing, I don't know. I'm wondering if it's like... Sometimes movies will do it. They won't even have previews. Well, that's what... Or they'll have very limited. Zach posted on his story that this Oppenheimer 70mm IMAX has no previews. Oh my gosh. It's like Schindler's List. So if you show up for a <clears throat> 7 o'clock showing, the movie is starting at like 7.01. <laughs> like, Good. You should be ready. Well, especially it's a three-hour movie. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I want... I mean, do I want to sit through 25 minutes of previews no. and also an ad for IMAX? I'm already watching a movie yeah. in IMAX. I don't need you to advertise it. You don't have to, to convince me. me. 
And then and, and then not one but two advertisements for the theater. Dude. I'm in the theater. You don't need to remind me. You've already got me. Yeah, that. So like when we see the and then flash. Like, and then like some trailers for stuff that has nothing to it's like not even the same genre. It's not the it's not the right demographic at all for who are seeing this movie. No. So when we see like the flash, you knew how many minutes did we have until the movie started? It's like we were going for the 7:30 showing. It's like 25 minutes. So we got 25 minutes. At our theater at least, the one we yeah. see near here. Nicole Kidman. She's freaking worst. I actually, I think I've told you this before. You know, one of my things I really would like to do, what I, what I always love to do on my birthday is we all go see a movie together. And I mm-hmm. like, I try to get like 20 people to go see a movie. At some point, I think it would be worthwhile for me to just rent a theater out. Mm. But I'll only do it under the condition that they let me, you know, I, I don't know if they still, you know, you can actually like AMC will let you do your own movie. Like, hey, if you want to watch, like we have this whole catalog of movies, we'll just you know, pick a movie you want and we'll just play it for you. No problem. Yeah. Um, you could do a private showing of a new movie like mission impossible or something, but we'll, we'll just set you up to watch uh, Jurassic park if you want. Yeah. Which is cool. So I'm thinking, okay, but does that apply to previews or do you guys still do previews or right. am I still gonna have to sit through the trailers? So I would only want to rent a theater cause it can be expensive. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, Oh gosh, I don't even remember how much it is. It's like 300 bucks, 400 bucks. Sure. It's a lot. And, um, so my only thing is, I only want to do this if I can have them play the Nicole Kidman ad on repeat for 25 minutes straight. (laughs) Skip all the previews. And then all my friends and family have to sit there and watch that. (laughs) And then we watch the movie. The good news is you'd only have to watch the loop twice. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The good news is I won't have any friends or family afterwards to watch the movie with all they've left. I guess so. Uh, so that's, uh, I, I told you before, like, I know nothing about Oppenheimer. I, I Which is surprising to me. Not only I, the film. How does this movie not been reached to you yet? Not only the film, but the historical figure. I knew, like, a lot of, like... They've this, been injecting the trailers into my veins everywhere. I, I haven't seen them, dude. I, I've, I know, like, a lot about that era and kind of what was going on. But in terms of him specifically... I mean, is is this like super historically accurate? Is he taking a lot of liberty with this film? I think it's based off a book. Oh, okay. Specifically, um, kind of a biography about the events. Gotcha. So do you, th- here's another question. Do you think that Christopher Nolan is hamstringing himself, quote unquote, or as some would say, by constantly using the same actors over and over again? Um, No. Okay. Because I think um, the film industry, like a lot of industries, is, you know, it is who you know, Mm -hmm. but that's not always a bad thing because oftentimes you want to work with people you know because you want to work with people you've built a relationship with, you trust, you like spending time with, and you feel you can get their best from and they can get your best from. Mm. So it's like if Nolan wants to work with um, Killian Murphy again, Mm makes perfect sense if he wants to work with tons of different actors again good for him i mean we don't mind when he has the same cinematographer right or editor or director of you know first first assistant cameraman right. first assistant director like we don't care when the behind the scenes people are all the same so i don't think it's that weird when a lot of times you have the same people in front of your camera okay um also like i'm pretty sure this Oppenheimer has cast like every white male in Hollywood. Well, so if it's the era, it's got a lot of actors in it. Really? 
Yeah. I've only seen basically what's her name? Uh, Florence Pugh. Yes. How do you know that that's right? Because <laughs> she's she plays his uh, his love interest. Yeah, I don't know if it's his wife. I'm not sure, unfortunately. There's I haven't her, seen the movie yet. I don't there's know. Emily, <laughs> there's I, Emily Blunt. I, Emily Blunt. I, all I've seen is Killian Murphy, Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt, and Robert Downey Jr. Matt Damon. Oh. Oh, yeah. I have seen him in some of the promo stuff. I got one more for you. You remember a little show called Drake and Josh? Yeah. Josh Peck is in it. Why? Because <laughs> he's in the movie. Because he's an actor and he's getting he gets roles. Good he's, for him, dude. I think he's the guy that presses the button that blows the bomb up. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I think he's the guy. It's an all-time role. Uh, one of the things I wanted to well, first of all, now that we've gotten through this, uh, my analogy about folding the cookie in half to get more cookie in your mouth at one time—that is a perfect analogy for IMAX seventy millimeter. There you go. Not even know it. Uh, but so I wanted to ask you. With, uh, like you were talking about Phantom Menace being recorded in 35 millimeter, what kind of machine is it that they're using now that they're able to get that into 4K that they didn't have previously? Because, you know, do you mean like for like a Blu ray or in the theater? Sure. Uh, Either. I mean, because like for me, as just like normal movie going consumer, don't know much about it, all of a sudden they've got 4K TVs. Sure. And it's like, don't in the beginning, it's like, don't even get a 4K TV. Nothing is even 4K yet. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it was true. Everything's 4K. It was true. So, what changed? What was the development in technology? So, uh, playing something from uh, playing a film strip is as simple as shining a light through it. Mm -hmm. You take your film strip, you shine a very bright beam of light through it, Mm -hmm. and you have a projection. You use something called a projector, right? Mm -hmm. Now, then you have to put a lens in front of that to, like, help focus the image onto, like, a wall or a screen or something. Sure. That's what the lens is for. Or you need to shrink it down to fit a certain screen or you need to widen it to fit a certain screen. So, like, the idea of projecting a film strip is very simple. Mm -hmm. Now, the quality of that projection comes down to the quality of the light, the quality of the projection machine you know physically keeping those film strips tight and straight while it's running okay otherwise you have like film weave uh, or keeping the film strips clean otherwise you have all those little hairs and dots and spots and stuff on your film strip right and then you need a pretty good lens the quality of your glass that makes it physically easier to focus it properly and for it to look nice on a wall or whatever screen it's being projected on yeah so watching a theater experience of a film using just film strip, very simple. Been doing it for a hundred years. Yeah. Now, once you're watching a movie that's not technically a film strip, it's um, a file. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about a different machine okay. that has to play a file using light projection. Um, however, a lot of times movies to this day, actually, even if it's filmed digitally, they'll take digital film and they'll just essentially convert it into physical film strips just okay. because it's easier to just like deliver this canister to a, uh, to a studio right? and they hook it up and they play it. Right. It's just, it's just simpler sometimes like that. Yeah. But nowadays to play something in 4k, like I said, the pixel per inch, you know, the pixel density of a 35 millimeter film strip, it's not easy comparison because you're talking about physical dots. Mm-hmm. 
of grain. And so it, it's not really a question of like pixels, but they, one could estimate the equivalent of a 35 millimeter film is like 6K, right? Okay. 70 millimeter, 12K. Mm-hmm. So that's why taking, like I said, taking older films and converting them into 4K Blu-rays, for example, relatively a simple thing. You are just essentially scanning each of those film strips into a machine, into a computer and saying, you know, preserve this frame at a 4K resolution. Okay. This many pixels wide by this many pixels tall. The problem in the past was why would you ever do that? That is so much data that has to be processed from a disc or a sure. computer. Sure. Like we talked about YouTube bit rates. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just exhausting to try to have a machine, a computer chip or something process that many pixels 24 24 times a second mm-hmm. or something like that. But nowadays, obviously, technology is advanced enough that you can do that reliably on a TV, on a monitor, in a computer, on your phone. So that's why 4K resolution stuff is available now. It didn't used to be. Gotcha. Theoretically, we could eventually go to 6K yeah, or 8K or 12K. There's 12K video cameras out there. Wow. But why would you need to do that i mean at some point you you physically can't tell that level of detail anymore the human eye can only yeah yeah. you you'd need a tv that's like 50 feet wide and you're sitting inches away from it like it doesn't actually need to be that detailed yeah that makes sense there are there is some logic to filming at extremely high resolutions when we're talking about green screen because it's nice when you know you're filming an actor on a green screen and every almost every individual hair Right. can be discerned in right. the in the pixels as opposed to like a handful of pixels representing a bunch of hair. Yeah. So you get a much more clean green screen removal in those that makes, cases. That makes a lot of sense. So that's why they're always trying to make higher resolutions because there is value to it. So then I remember seeing like some behind the scenes stuff of Peter Jackson filming The Hobbit and he was using all these red cameras. Yes. Are those like 4K digital cameras then? Those would be digital cameras. But did they like have a 4K resolution? At minimum, for sure. Okay. If you're if you're making a movie, you are expecting to play it right. at a movie theater format, which usually would be 2K. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, when you go see, like I said, you could you could argue a 35 millimeter film is like 6K possible mm-hmm. potential, but really, when you go see a movie in the theater, it's like 2K. Okay, there's like a there's a there's a specific format standard i think it's like dci or something like that there's a there's a there's a standard format you watch a movie in Mm -hmm. which means you know back in the day when they were making digital motion when they were making like cgi for movies um like lord of the rings for example or star wars episode one or episode two you it would be so hard to make uh jar jar binks in 6k yeah just because you can and it would match the physical film you've gotten that resolution. It's just so hard for a computer in those days to put out that level of detail of a CG model. Makes sense. So things like digital effects back then were put out at like 2K. Gotcha. Because that's what you'd expect the theater to play anyway. Sure. Which is why you have like this weird thing where older movies scale really well 
into Blu-ray 4K stuff. Yeah. And then there's this period where stuff was like you get CGI, early days of CGI, and that stuff scales horribly. Sure. <laughs> because it's just you're trying to upscale something to 4K. It never was right. 4K. Right. Even if it was filmed at 35 millimeter, they then had to like downsize it or render graphics and CG creatures and stuff lower than that. Makes sense. So if you're watching it on your 4K TV, it you know, Attack of the Clones, 4K Blu-ray, you're not going to really notice. Mm-hmm. It's not that big of a deal. But it's just a weird phenomenon that, you know, you're kind of dealing with the consequences of technology in that interim period where digital graphics and stuff like that was not matured enough yet to do what physical film could do. Yeah. Like for me, if I made a movie, I really would never bother on film. I just wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not that important to me. But for some people, it's, you know, somebody like Nolan, he'd rather die <laughs> than not have his movie in 70 millimeter. Yeah, apparently. Um, well, that sounds good. I, I feel like that was a that was completely unplanned. That was just me being curious, and I knew that you most likely had the answer. And I, I think I could talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff of movies all the time. Dude, we should do more episodes like that because I'm super intrigued by that stuff. And honestly, just having this conversation with you makes me feel like I understand so much more about film and all of like just all the inner workings and why a director does what he does what you know it Christopher Nolan says go see it in IMAX 70 millimeter okay nobody knows what that is Chris (laughs) nobody knows what you're talking about yeah now I do mostly it's like one out of a hundred thousand people know what that means yeah all they know is like my son said he wants to see it in the IMAX. What's the tickets for the IMAX? <laughs> Where's the Does IMAX? that start at 7? Is that 10 or do I go to 12? It's like, listen, Gertie. <laughs> Get on the line. Get on the subscribe. line. Get on the line. Subscribe. Well, I hope that anybody listening to this podcast episode uh, learned as much as I did. Thank you, Sean, for uh, for doing a little Q&A there. That was nice. Uh, cool. What do you think? Um, I think that if you enjoyed this video... In any way, shape, or form, if years from now, you will be able to think and remember just one moment from this video, and it'll bring a smile to your face, like, I remember that. That was kind of fun they did that. Then you must give us a like, a comment, and subscribe if you haven't. Dude, for sure. I mean, if you want to be responsible, personally responsible for making this channel better. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Yeah. And give us feedback. Let us know what you thought. Maybe comment something. Something that stood out to you. How am I supposed to know how much I suck unless people tell me? Exactly. Tell us how much Sean sucked. Do it. You won't. (laughs) You won't. You won't. Do it. You can't. Think of one thing I've done wrong. You can't. You won't do it. No. Bet. Bet. All right, cool. Well, I think that that wraps up a cool uh, episode 43. Totally unplanned. but This was um, a good day, even though it's like 90 degrees in this studio. This was good. Studio. I'll be honest. I came in with some energy, and then um, I got kind of tired between minute five and <laughs> 17, I would say. Probably about the length of a Nicole Kidman uh, ad in front of our movies at AMC. But then uh, once I started engaging with you in questions and you were firing answers, dude, dialed in, locked in. Locked in like a 70 millimeter film inside of whatever no weave on that baby (laughs) 
Heck yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for 99 Nerds. We thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Sean's going to spend an exorbitant amount of time editing this video. Probably not. This one was pretty decent. It's only we're, we're literally months, maybe even weeks away from AI doing everything for me. Oh, man, that'll be sick. I didn't even like throw out any crazy references like uh, Blue from uh, Jungle Book or uh, John Stamos. You did talk about Zaboomafu. I did. Where are we going to find that? Dude, you <laughs> pull out the footage. Uh, so this has been great. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for watching. We appreciate you. Those are all of our sound clips at one time. We appreciate you. We love you.